National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio presents. I wish my head could forget what my eyes have seen. Ten years ago, the groundbreaking firefighting movie Burned took audiences closer than they'd ever been. Into the fires and into the lives of the men who fight them. Ten years in the making, the long-awaited follow-up is finally here. The workload has increased and manpower has decreased. Burn X explores stories and characters you've never seen before and continues the journey for many of the Detroit firefighters you met in the first film. Fire Class 2019. Yes, Order your two-disc ultimate edition of Burn X on DVD and Blu-ray at burnstore.com or get it for streaming and download on iTunes, Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo. What is a man's worth that doesn't make the world a better place? Taylor's Tins, one of the best there is. A good friend of ours and supporter of National Fire Radio. He comes up first in a lineup of sponsors because he means that much to me. Taylor's been with us from day one. I hit him up on day one and said, brother, I love your shield. I love what it represents. I'd like to give them out to all of our podcast guests. And from day one, almost five years ago, we've been issuing Taylor's Tins to all of our guests as a keepsake and recognition for their willingness to share some time and their story with us in our community at National Fire Radio. These aluminum helmet fronts, they change the market. They're revolutionary in what they do. Even if you're a traditionalist with the leather shield, the aluminum shield offers so much when it comes to durability, cleanliness, decon, they can do it all with the aluminum shield. Their customer service, let's talk about that for a minute, where things usually take several weeks now to get your hands on them from the from conception to manufacturing process and out the door and onto your helmet. Taylor can turn around orders within 48 hours, whether it's a 500-piece shield order for your department or a one-off customized shield. Taylor's doing them, and he's doing them within 48 hours, and they're getting out the door. It's not just helmet shields. Nope, there's more. They got locker tags, carbon monoxide meter, you know, data sheets. They have pump data sheets, pump tags, locker tags, street signs, banquet gifts. You name it, the list goes on and on. Check them out at taylorstins.com. That's where they conduct business. You can hit them up on the chat right there. They walk you through the process of designing your custom Taylor's Tin from the website. So go to taylorstins.com, check them out. They represent the very best of what the American Fire Service is all about, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor of the National Fire Radio platform. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey, everybody, Jeremy National Fire Radio back on the audio platforms today on the podcast. Dave Briarty, Deputy Chief Ridgefield, New Jersey, 25 minutes from my front door. I know this brother. I've known him for many years. Uh, Deputy Chief right now, 19 years in the fire service, volunteer. We're going to talk all about this. I've been talking about wanting to focus on volunteers on this podcast only because we don't talk enough about it. Uh, And so Dave is a great guy to bring a lot to the table today. He's a second generation uh, firefighter, but he's got a lot of generational blood in it, right? So it was your father and you, but then also on your father's side and your mother's side, there's like all other like fourth, fifth generation type stuff going on too, no? Yeah, yeah. So it's me. So me, my my, my brother and uh, my father in Richfield. And then um, on my father's side, it goes back in Hudson County. I don't know how long. And the same thing. Well, actually, my mother's Bergen County. Um, but it's uh, out of the, the borough of Fairview there. Um, I have a few generations over on that department. So it's uh, it's a long lineage on both sides, which I'm very, very proud of. And I, I love uh, the fact that it literally courses through my veins. I love that, man. Well, welcome to the podcast. And thanks for hopping in today with me, man. Um, Thank you for having me, brother. Yeah, you and I go back and forth. You know, it's been a couple of years. You shoot a text message back and forth here and there. Actually, yesterday I reached out to you because a buddy of mine, his daughter was broken down, like right in your jurisdiction, coming right, through. Right, and I was yeah. like, hey, man, you know, if you happen to be in the area, I felt bad. She's like a 20-year-old girl. And she was sitting on the side of the turnpike. So, But thankfully, that got taken care of. But I appreciate that. And I think... That just goes to show, like, the comfort level that I have to be able to reach out like that. And I just appreciate you for, for offering to check on her and so on. That was really cool, man. I appreciate that. Always, brother. Always. We, we need more brothers like that. I agree with you 100%. 
So give me a little bit of background, right? We got the generational thing going, and typically that runs in our veins, in our blood, through our homes. In the American Volunteer Fire Service, we do a lot of generational-type stuff. Fathers, grandfathers, aunts, uncles, you name it, across the board, it happens. Talk to me about growing up in the firehouse. When did it bite you? When did you fall in love with the fire service? Oh, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you exactly the moment I, I fell in love with the fire service. It's funny that you asked me that. Yeah. So my father was a firefighter in, in Guttenberg, New Jersey, when it was volunteer before North Hudson took over. Got it. And uh I was uh I was born he, he had moved to Richfield with my mother. I was born in eighty six and um I wanna say it was like eighty nine. Um, on Shaler Boulevard in Richfield, on the Shaler Apartments. Many people from Richfield know that very well and grew up there. And a uh, me and my brother were playing cars on the carpet. I'm sure you did the same thing. You know, you had the little road map carpet. Absolutely. And I decided to look out the front window, and I saw a car on fire. And I said, Daddy, fire. Daddy, fire outside. And he was like, come on, don't, don't do that. That's not nice. And as, as he's saying that the Plectron goes off and he goes running out of the house and here comes the engine up the block. My pop gets off, starts pumping the rig. And right then and there, I was like, this is, that's my dad stuck with putting that, he's putting that fire out. And that's exactly when it, it bit me. And, uh, I never look back. That's cool. Like I don't yeah. I don't have such a defining moment like that. Yeah. Uh but I think that's pretty awesome. How early on was that? Like how old were you? I was like 3 or 4 years Get old. Get the hell out of here. You remember yeah. that? I 100% I I could tell you it was a Pontiac. Oh shut up. It was, Get out I, of here. I swear to god, bro. I will never forget that moment. It was like a black Pontiac. And it rolled matter of fact it was a hill. And it rolled down the hill on fire, so like the trans must have let go. Ah, that's cool. And the yeah. fact that you remember that, I'm awfully impressed with you right now. Uh, I got <laughs> uh, memory here. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you this. I know it bit me early on too. I can't pinpoint the exact time, but I do remember. I didn't know anything other than the fire service in my home. And it's funny you bring up the right. Plectron because that's all they had. And, and then the pagers, but the Plectron in the home, I mean, my father still rocks the Plectron in their living room. Like that thing, you know, it disturbs the whole house when it goes off, you know, that's right. I love it. That's, and you know what, that's how I grew up because middle of the night when the Plectron went off, the house shook. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too, was always, always, Always was the school closings. We were always, the Plectron would go off on school closings for the snow because the fire sirens would blow to alert the community that there was no school. I mean, this is. We were always the first ones to know. Yeah, exactly. And people would call the house all morning long, you know? So it's just those memories that stick with me. And I'm sure you have a lot of similar ones, um, which is really the blueprint for how and why we fall in love with the fire service. 100%, 150%. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's almost iconic to me that there's so many similarities in how a lot of us uh, grew up in it, lived in it, witnessed it, and and just fell head over heels in love with it. So talk to me a little bit about your own. I mean, you're forging your own path. You come up through the Ridgefield Fire Department. It's a busy department. You guys are on, uh, you guys are on the uh, east side of Bergen County. You have uh, the Turnpike in your, the New Jersey Turnpike in your district, right? Yep. Uh, you got a lot of uh, industri- industry. You got a lot of commercial and then obviously uh, residential as well. But it's a, it's a very much a mixed, mixed occupancy uh, first due district for you guys. Yeah. I mean, the only thing we're really missing in Richfield is uh, high rises. I mean, we have a couple of mid rises, you know, five, five story, you know, uh, occupied multiple dwellings, but um, nothing, nothing outstanding more than, you know, than that. But we certainly have a melting pot of buildings, new, old, yeah, you name, you name it, it's there, you know, hidden roofs, you know, stuff like that, that, uh, you know, growing up in the town, I've gotten to see the the growth from like these little, you know, one story homes to these ginormous mansions. Sure. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool to, 
be able to see that from like the bottom up, you know what I mean? Where you can walk up to a building, or I should say drive up to a building and know, you know, that was Mrs. Smith's house, but Mrs. Smith moved out in 2008 and they rebuilt that house. That's not, you know, that's not a balloon frame anymore. That's this. You know what, what is, I mean? and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to, I was going to ask you with that, right comes the change of the town as well right and yeah you know the volunteer fire service is certainly based on civic pride and the firehouse main street firehouse is just main street usa right and you know that the the community always revolved around the firehouse if you will there was always that iconic idea that the fire trucks on the ramp being washed and you know and it's uh you know a uh just uh, iconic that way right and, yeah, on and, a Sunday morning. Yeah, and and things have changed dramatically, right? Because Main Street USA looks a lot different than what it used to. And and growing up for you and I and the values of the American Fire Service then were much more Mayberry-ish, if you will, where the guys were running to the firehouse when the whistle blew and the plectron went off because it was this, their civic job to do that. It was it was them giving back to their community, and the town was a lot more simpler back then. What do you, like today, what do you make of the difference between the Ridgefield when you first grew up and falling in love with the, with the, with the fire service compared to now? I mean, how much of a change has there been, and what has that done for your outlook of like your community and so on. I'm just curious. So I, I think there's a huge culture change in the fire service. You know, like when I was, there's not many kids that grow up in the firehouse anymore. You know, like when I was growing up in the fire, in the firehouse, there was like 10 or 15 other kids growing up with yeah. me in the firehouse. And we couldn't wait to turn 17 to get our orange shield and our helmet and everything. Now, you know, we're lucky if you have, you know, two or three that grow up in the firehouse that know how to change a bottle and hit a hydrant before they even put their gear on when they turn 16 or 17, you know? So now the recruitment is so much harder because the generation has changed. There's not as many kids out there that want to put forth that effort, but I will say the ones that do still do it with the passion that, I had. Yeah. The ones, the ones that are really into it that, you know, you don't have to ask to do something that you show up on a Sunday morning and I pull up on the ramp and the truck is pulled out. They're washing it. The garbage has been taken out. The the floors have been swept. They're checking the packs and they still care. You know, I, I love seeing that. Um, It's just unfortunate that there's not that many, kids that are into it anymore you you hit on something that i i think is just something i really want to dive into down the road uh i discussed it once before and it, it kind of like i formulated this idea and opinion while i was on another podcast with somebody and it made me think of it and you just did it again and and that's about the lack of kids growing up in the firehouse today you know i i was the same way i mean when we grew up in the firehouse a lot of members kids were there and a lot of kids were around the same ages. There were a bunch of age groups that were growing up in the firehouse and we don't have that today, you know? And I'm, I'm curious if it's because that core group of 40 to 50 year olds is missing, you know, that middle, that middle age group that uh, typically should be running the department. Like I know in my department, we're either young or old. We don't have that middle group. And that middle group are the ones that have the kids and the kids that become teenagers and grow up in the firehouse and so on. And so I'm curious. But then the other thing, too, is I have a lot of guys that are members that their kids are not joining the department when they turn 16 or 18. And that makes me think about it, too. Like, why aren't they right? Because, like, when I was growing up, there was never a question of when I was going to join. It was just my birthday couldn't get here quick enough. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and but now it's like we have a lot of members whose kids aren't into it. And I'm curious why. I honestly I think it it, it falls back to there's so much more to do in in life now. There's so much more extra extracurricular activity. You know, I mean it really didn't affect me much. You know, I played a little football here and there. I, I did track and field, but I still you know, like I'd be at practice and be like, coach, I got to go. I, you know, we got a call. 
You'd be like, you're not going anywhere. We're, we're throwing shot put right now. I'm like, but, but, but there's a call. I got, there's a fire, you know, I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. Yeah. And I, th- I think that part is where things are missing that the kids are so focused elsewhere, which is not a, a bad thing. It's a bad thing for us. It's not a bad thing for them. But why? But, I think, but why yeah. though? Right? Because like I think of the the foundation is laid early on, right? Like yeah. when you're eight years old and the fire siren blows, usually most members' kids are turning their head and looking for the fire truck coming down the road. Yeah. And, and but we're not finding that anymore. And that those early impressionable years are what drives those people then when they turn drives those kids at sixteen and eighteen, whatever program you have, junior or regular membership, right? That's what drives them is those earlier years in life where they were influenced by it. I was influenced in a very positive way. I'm wondering if the guys today don't share the fire service like our families did. I'm I'm wondering if there's any type of resentment that, you know, we've asked more of our members today than we ever have. Guys are running out the door, you know, 15 times more than they used to. You know, yeah. just to just to answer alarms and cover their responsibilities, and I wonder if there becomes this level of resentment from the from the kids or the families that think that the fire department actually is a hindrance and not something that's civic minded in in providing a service back to the community, and maybe the 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 ideology of it and and the values of the American Volunteer Fire Service has changed. Well, I got I got to say, I think you touched on it with with Matt. Uh, the other day, um, you know, 15 years ago when the pager went off, uh, or the plectron went off the majority of the time it was a fire. Yeah. Now much, we're, yeah we're, much more common. Sure. We're, we're getting so many of these activated alarms, false alarms. And I think because of that, like, you know, I can't imagine, I don't have any children yet. You know, I can't imagine these guys with children that hear this pager go off, you know, sometimes five or six times in one day. Oh, easily. And they got to roll their eyes and go there. Dad's going to another BS alarm again, you know, but if they were going to fires, those kids would be like, no, dad's going to another fire. I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to, I'd like to think that I'd like to think that, but I just, I wonder, I wonder how much we don't share anymore. I mean, I'm pretty well, op- I'm yeah. pretty open with my family because I because the fire service is obviously a massive part of my life. It is my life. Yeah. It's my lifestyle, and I share that with my kids. And whether they want to hear the same story 15 times over, or they want me to point out the house that burned, you know, six months ago that they're now renovating, we drive past it every time to go into the grocery store, and I talk about that. I just think it's my way of including my kids to understand what I'm doing because I want my kids to know that the time spent away from them is done for a reason and not just for my selfish need to not be, you know, to, to escape home. Like that's not what that is. And I, I think we need to do a better job at that. And I, frankly too, I think we need to lax up. We need to, we need to relax some of the rules where it involves our kids. I mean, God, fathers used to throw their kid in the front seat and let them come on the ride. Oh my God. I could not agree more. There, I can't even count how many times dad's plectron or pager would go off and me and my brother jumped in the car with him. He'd throw the teardrop on the roof, yeah, zip to the firehouse, you know, and, and there was like a no holds bar thing there, you know, but they weren't, we weren't stupid about it either. You know, we were still safe to an extent, it, but it was a little bit simpler, got, you know, it was simple. That's that. It, it was just a simpler time. Uh, there's just too many rules and cameras and everybody's watching and everybody's looking for the mistakes so they can point it out. And I think that's a huge part of it too, is that there's, there's pe- there's public out there that want to see people fail. And, and it's a shame. You know, it's, it's frustrating for me at times where departments have rules and, you know, and then you go do a school function and you allow the kids to climb into the trucks and take them around the block for a ride. But I, but I can't, but I can't let my own kid under my own supervision who respects the fire service to jump on and come for a bullshit CO alarm with me because we didn't fill every seat. And, and instead of sitting in my car waiting for me or sitting in the firehouse and putting a TV on waiting for me, you know, maybe we could expose them to a little more excitement and maybe they, maybe they fall in love with it a little bit more or, you know, or realize it's not for them. But, you know, I, it's just, it's, 
it's those little things that I think can go a very long way. And I think we've just gotten away from maybe the fact that we should make this a little just more simpler these days. We've complicated everything. And I think that's a big detriment to what we are and who we are. 100%. So listen, what do you want to talk? We wanted to talk about, you You mentioned to me right before we started, You were. I said, you know, what I like to do with this podcast is I like to hit on one or two topics. And I know leadership is important to you, and I know you're rolling into becoming departmental chief uh, January 1 for Ridgefield and so on. So leadership's important to you. Um, you talked about the expectation of leadership, and then you, you gave me a couple bullet points like, hey, I'd love to hit on this, this, and this. So go ahead, man. Let's talk about the expectation of leadership. Where do you want to take this conversation? So, you know, growing up, uh, I started on the truck company in Richfield and ended up transferring uh, a few years after to the uh, rescue and engine company up on the hill. And I think a major part of that was the leadership up there. They were huge mentors of mine. You know, these are the guys that I crawled down dark hallways with. And um, there's two things that I really love about the fire service. And the first thing is, and you, and you've been there, your first real good fire that you've been in where either you're going to love this job or you're not that feeling that you have when you do is something that I will cherish in the fire service. That first dark hallway working down the line with, with a couple of great, salty old timers and then the second thing i love is when i see it happen to another kid when they realize that this is what they want to do with their life those are two huge things that i love and the only way that happens is when you have someone when you have a good leader in front of you or right behind you one of one of the two if they put you on the nozzle and they're pushing you forward or they're on the nozzle and they're bringing you in um and without people like that, without leaders, not dictators, not, not pointers, you're not going to have those moments. You're not going to have those people that have that passion because you're going to lose that. So I think that's where I, I drive to be um, that quality of a leader that, you know, I tell my guys, I will never ask you to do something that I will not do with you or do myself. Yeah, You know, because at some point as a leader, you have no choice but to point and say, I need you to go do that because you're in command. You're incident commander. You can't go with them. You have to tell them. But that's where your second lieutenant, first lieutenant, captain, battalion chief, and deputy chief, those are those years where you're going in with them and showing or pushing forward with them, where when you get to the point of being a department chief – and you are pointing the guys you're pointing to go to, you know, I want you to go in that door and hit that room. They're not going to question or hesitate because they know, you know, Dave was down that dark hallway with me, you know, half a dozen times, a dozen times. I'm absolutely going to do what he tells me to do. Yeah. I So, yeah, I mean, there's so much here, right? So let's break that down yeah. a little bit. Right. I mean, for, for me, what I'm hearing very much is this, right? Reputation matters. Absolutely. Your, your pedigree matters. And you got to put in your time and do the work so that when you get to a leadership position, which is leadership position on paper, right? Like meaning yeah. I've been promoted, appointed, uh, I ran for and was elected to, you know, whatever position, right? Anybody right. can be elected and we're going to, that's part of what this conversation where we're going to go is that really anybody can be elected to any position they want, right? As long as they fill the requirement and there's a chance of them getting in, whether it's popular vote or a ballot, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Like we're putting people in elected positions all the time that do not and cannot be leaders, right? 150%. But for you, yeah. for you though, the process matters, right? Yes. So you start at second lieutenant and for me, and, and I know every department's different, but for me, second lieutenant has always been that learning lieutenant position. I think it's a very vital part of, of line officer positions, especially in the volunteer fire service. That second lieutenant, you get to learn from your first and, and your captain and you learn from your battalion. Um, 
And that's where you're going to really hone those leadership skills, or you're going to find out that you're not a good leader and this isn't for you. You know, that you, okay, I got all the qualifications. I got all the classes, but you know what? I just want to be a grunt fireman. This, this boss stuff isn't for me. That position, that second lieutenant position um, is really where you need to find that out before you move forward from there. It makes uh, sense. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's so, the, so that's your entry level officer position. That is that's your entry level officer position. That's typically now, your five, six year guy. That's got a couple years in. He wants to do a little bit more and it's a, it's a lower level officership that is voted on by the volunteer members and they feel that you're confident enough to take on a little more responsibility and you can ride in that front seat, but you're still honing your craft and understanding how to become an officer. Yeah. And, and a huge part of that, that second lieutenant position, you know, qualifications are great. Classes are fantastic. I, I tell guys all the time, you know, I know this is what's required, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do more. You know, never, we, we, you, you stress this all the time. We stress this all the time. Never stop learning in the fire service. So, and it doesn't stop with second lieutenant. You get into that second lieutenant position. There's nothing wrong with turning around in the back to your senior guys that have been doing this for 30 years, 40 years and going, you know, Hey, Joe, what do you think? That's the best thing you can do because they've been there, you know? Um, but qualifications aside, you need to have earned the respect and you need to have earned that, that condition of leadership where, these guys are going to turn to you and go, I can count on, I can count on this guy. He's going to, he's going to get me in and get me out and get me home. Yeah. I, yeah. And, but, but I also think on the other side of the coin too, uh, and, and part of this conversation, I mean, I think all of that is super important and we need to be putting people in the positions that are enabled to handle those positions. And, yes. um, and, and, you know, it takes a career to really hone your skills and your abilities. And, and as you mature, not just on the fire ground, but as you mature as a person from a 25-year-old kid who's got seven years on and now he's running for a lieutenant spot, he's going to be a much different person than when he's a captain in 10 years from now or an assistant chief or deputy chief battalion, whatever whatever rank. And so maturity matters too because you, you hone your – uh, you hone your message, the way you manage, the way you talk to people. Um, you typically have a better grasp for the mission, um, all of that. And it, it just comes with time and maturity. Yes. So I, I listen, I'll be the first one to tell you, you know, when I was on the truck company and I was, I think I was 21 years old, you know, and they elected me to a second lieutenant position. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you, I wasn't ready for it. Oh, I get it. I'm listen. Yeah. I I totally get it. I totally get yeah. that. I lived it too. Um, I was a very young officer. I was a young chief. Um, yeah. you know the the fire service was boiling in my veins, and I knew better than everyone. And right. I certainly yeah. you know it, brother. You I know it. <laughs> well, listen, man. I I've been served a lot of slices of humble pie in my life, and you know over time, like I I expeditiously went through the chain real quick and was a very young chief. I was chief of department at 27 years old. Wow. And, you know, and so that was uh, up until uh, a guy that came in after me. Uh, that was probably, I think, the youngest chief ever in the, in the career of the department. A couple of things happened to me, right? I went up through the, through the chain pretty quick. I was a very, very active assistant chief for three years, right? Mm -hmm. So I was super hands-on um, with a lot of things. My family was very young at the time, and I only served one year as departmental chief out of three years. And after my first year, I actually stepped down from the position uh, only because my personal life was being affected. My wife, we had a newborn at home. And soon after my wife was pregnant again, I have Irish twins that are 14 months apart. And I came home from the firehouse telling my wife, I'm not seeking another two years in chief. I'm done. And she couldn't believe it. But it was the right decision to make on behalf of my family. And and that's the thing, and, and I want to talk about the dedication we have to the volunteer service, too, because I know you unconditionally have dedication like I do to the service, but I had to choose my family over the firehouse at that point, right? But yeah. what, where I'm going with the story was 
there were there was a lot of rumblings about me as a young officer that I had a big mouth. I, I you know, was very loud and vocal, uh, made my opinions known. I, you know, and I was a very different person than who I am today. And if I were to ever run for chief again or for an officer position in my volunteer department again, I would be a completely different manager and boss than I was. I don't think I'll ever be able to do that again. I just don't have the time now. I'm a little busy with this, you know, little thing that I do. <laughs> but where I'm headed with this is very simply this. I was in a truck committee meeting, I don't know, a couple of years ago. We're building a new engine or something. And I, I was making a comment and I was I, I kind of have become more of the voice of reason in, in the firehouse. Like, okay, here's an idea. Here's their idea. And I'm in the middle and I'm like, well, let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. Like, how does it work? And I, one of the young kids turned around. And he's like, you're so different than you were when you were an officer. And I said, yeah, I know that. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I don't understand it. He's like, you're two different people. And I said, yeah, because I grew up, man. Like, I matured. You know, That's like right. when, when you're the manager at 27 of a fire department, you know, you're full of piss and vinegar. You think you have all the answers. And truthfully, in my point in my career then in the volunteer fire service, I really wasn't looking for people to tutor me. I thought I knew everything. And, right. and only through time and maturity and really fall and really learning how to fall in love with it and the process of it and jo- enjoy it and enjoy every step of it. I've really come to hone my position of where I stand and sit with, with the fire service now. And it's completely different than when I was a person that had authority within. Uh, and I am forever grateful that I, I went through the, the career I did with this, but I'm very happy, very happy with my maturity today and what my position is today versus what it used to be. And, uh, and so anyway, it's a journey. I think that's my point of this whole five minute talk is it's a journey. It's a journey in the fire service and it's going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of chapters and you're going to have ups and downs, but it's ultimately a long game. And, and the short, the short trip to get somewhere is not the right way to do it. No. And I tell you, you, you look at 21-year-old me on the truck company then, second lieutenant and first lieutenant. And like you said, I was full of, listen, my, my, my passion and love never changed. Um, but I didn't know how to separate uh, friendship from, from being a boss. Yeah, it's part of it too, uh, for sure. Huge, huge, huge part of it. You know, um, I, th- I thought I knew it all could care less what people told me to do or how to do it or whatever, you know, and my brother was right ahead of me as captain and, and, and uh, me and him got into it all the time. And uh, you know, my mother would be like, take it to the firehouse. I don't want to hear it, you know? Yeah. And you know, flash forward, like probably five or six years when I got to the rescue company and was just a grunt again. And I loved it up there. And, you know, they finally, you know, decided they wanted to elect me as, as officer up there and, and completely, two different people where, yeah. you know, I relied on my, my senior advisory board, um, to, to help me, you know, guide me and, and things like that. I treated everybody the same, whether you liked it or not, you know, you got treated the way everybody got treated. And I still, I stick to that to this day. And you know what, there's, there's people that don't like me for it. And you know what, that's okay. Because you know what, there's one thing you can't say is, I didn't treat, I treated you differently from somebody else. No, sir. The rules are the rules. If you break a rule, yeah, okay. There's sometimes ways to go around them and, and, you know, to fix them. But if you break a rule that somebody else broke, you got to be held to the same standard. I I agree with you. I I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, And I think that's, you know, friend, you know, friend versus, uh, you know, leadership position and subordinate. I mean, there's a lot there, especially, today because people are avoiding conflict more and more i want to just hop back oh. I, yeah, I know i know and we can we can absolutely get out of that's a whole that. nother yeah, that's I know. a whole nother hour bro yeah i'm well aware trust me but i want to i want to stay on this same topic of leadership because you know me being a little vulnerable right now and, and telling my story and you sharing some of your stories too where you know we didn't have all the answers and as a young officer uh we certainly uh needed tutoring and mentorship, but we didn't seek it or want it, Um, which is different today for both of us. And I know that, but my thing is, is the process. And, you know, I, I fast forwarded through the process and some of that was because of departmentally, it just worked out that way because we don't have the numbers of people running for the positions. I talked about that middle age group of, of say 30, 
to 50 age range, that 20 year gap in my department is lacking. Um, and so, you know, we're pushing kids up the line quicker. We're yes, making, absolutely. we're making yep. bosses quicker out of people, but it's also happening in the career world too. Guys are getting promoted earlier and earlier. Departments are trending younger. So it's a, it's a commonality between career and volunteer is that we're moving people up through the process, uh, typically a little bit quicker than we used to. Now, I don't want people to lose track of the process and I don't want new bosses, younger guys that are being thrusted into these positions because they're able to run for a lieutenant spot with no competition against them. And next thing you know, at 22 years old, they're, they're now wearing a different color shield or helmet and they're making some, you know, game time decisions and they're lacking the experience to do so. So I, where I'm going with this is I want to talk with you about how important the process is and not skipping the process. Oh, it, it, it is literally the most important part of coming up in those leadership roles. You have to, number one, you have to make mistakes because you're not going to learn if you don't make mistakes. Leadership is not being uh, about being perfect. And I think that's a huge uh, falsehood that these young guys think like, oh, you know, he got there, you know, chief is there because, you know, he never did anything wrong his whole way up. I can tell you at every step of the way that I made a mistake, but the difference is you got to own the mistake, learn from the mistake and never make that mistake again. And, and this is what I try to instill in those young officers that it's not about being perfect. However, you are that guy that everybody's looking at. So if you do make the mistake, make sure that they see you make the mistake. They see you own the mistake and you fix it. So that they know that's what they have to do. Yeah. Yeah. What about? Especially, yep, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. no, no, please, please. No, especially in front of those senior guys that are like, you know, when you're, when you're in that second lieutenant position and you are that 24 year old kid, they want to see that you're humble enough to, to own that. And if you're not, that's where those, those senior guys are like, I don't know about this guy, you know, but if, if you push forth and go, I'm not going to let that mistake, you know, own my reputation and you're going to fix it and move forward and, and, and be a better guy about it. That's where you earn that respect and you earn that true title of boss. And that's that, that's the maturity that I was speaking to before, right? Yes. Being, being yes. able to learn like that. I do want to say this though. There are a lot of amazing 24 year old firefighters out there that make great bosses and thousand you know, percent. Yeah. And, and so this isn't a, this isn't a young conversation versus old. What this is, is just, I think maturity and experience. And that comes a lot of times with time, but obviously guys that are in very busy departments that are stretching lines daily uh, or going to a lot of fires and wrecks and things like that, they're obviously getting a lot more experience up front. And so their their game plan then changes. It's a little bit different than a kid from a much smaller, maybe rural community that's not going to that many runs or fires or wrecks. And so, you know, it just should be said that this is all very much based on a sliding scale. But yes. part of that sliding scale, though, is putting in the time, whatever that time looks like, because I'm not going to I'm not going to fault a kid at 22, 23, 24 years old to step up and run for an officer position, especially if we want to put him in that position or we need somebody to sit and to take that position. And he seems like a good fit. He might be young. He might be a little inexperienced, but we can if he's willing to be. Uh, mentored and tutored, we can then possibly put somebody in a position and allow him to grow in that position, yes. right? But that's part of the process, right? We can't skip the process. The process is on a sliding scale. Busy department, you could sit in that seat probably very much quicker than a kid from a rural department. So the process changes based upon your experience, right? But the maturity comes with longevity, and I, I just think that that's all part of the process and we can't skip it. And if you are moved up the ranks quickly, I think you need to still understand that you're put in that position quicker than you should have been. And right. we, we can't get wrapped up in the audacity that you think you belong there because you're wearing that shield. Right. So that's, that's a huge part of it, right? So we all know that jobs are down you know, fires are down, you know, we're, we're not seeing the amount of work that we saw even just a few years ago. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's no excuse for you not to be a good officer. 
because you could be at the firehouse doing reps all day long, you know, on a Sunday, you could be pulling lines, throwing ladders. It doesn't take a fire for you to be doing that. Right. For you to be, for you to be building that relationship with the, with the guys. Hey, Hey guys, I'm going up to the firehouse, uh, Sunday, 10 AM. Why don't you just come up? We'll throw ladders. We'll go flow some water, stretch some lines, you know, go check out a few houses. There's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. That's that builds your relationship that builds your rapport. Um, and that's a huge part of, of that officer process of that maturity process. And believe me, when I, when you talk about maturity and I talk about maturity, I know plenty of 40 year old immature assholes. hundred percent. All right. It 100%. doesn't take 40 to be mature. You know, I know 24 year olds and 25 year olds that act more like adults than, you know, some 40 year olds. I agree. With you. So, you know, um, but where you, where you say, where you get that audacity, right? I hate when I see people go, Hey man, I've, I've done my time. I got my classes. It's my turn. What do you mean? It's your turn. What, what have you done to show this company or this department that you deserve to sit in that front seat, put in that white shield and make life changing decisions at a fire scene? What have you, what have you shown me? Are you and, saying, are you saying there's a level of entitlement? Some people have yeah. an entitlement, meaning they think they yeah. deserve the position because they've done what they were supposed to do. Correct. And that goes for any age. That has nothing to do with 24, 25. That goes anywhere. You could be in, in the company for, for six years at the, at the minimum, whatever the minimum is for your department to run for office. Or you could be there for 20 or 25 years and have never been an officer and turn around and go, you know what? I want to be an officer now. You guys got to put me up. Well, wait a minute. Show me or tell me why you think you deserve that. Or Listen, some guys don't even need to say that. And that's, that's where the true officer for me, like the true line officer comes in is where a guy that doesn't have to come in and say, you need to make me officer, a guy that you look at and go, we're going to make him officer because that's all he does is show us that he deserves it. That's the line officer that I want in there. Not the guy that comes up and has to tell me it's my turn. You got to put me up. And I think there's a huge separation there and, and that entitlement. Is where, where where is that entitlement coming from? Honestly, I do. You, do you think, think it's, it's? Do you? Let me just throw this out there because I've I've spent a lot of time on these topics, and I I have I've certainly formulated my own opinions, and and I don't know if they're worth merit or not. But where I'm thinking the entitlement comes from is the is the commonality of people always getting their way these days. <laughs> you you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, it's. it's it's the, the, like you said, it's that lack of conflict. Nobody wants to be the guy to say, no, I do. I do. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of guys that hate that I say no, but you have to sometimes because you know, at the end of the day, that when that, when that roof has to get cut or that window has to get taken or that line has to get stretched, you don't want the guy that was entitled to get that position to do those tasks. You want the guy that you know is going to get the task done and get those guys back out. Yeah. I Do, do you think, though, that the, the way we deliver the no matters? Yes. See, yeah, because I do too, right? I think that there's the right way to say no. And I think, 100%. And I think a lot of times guys that deliver the no – don't deliver it correctly for the situation. Which, and that's, but again, that's a part of being a leader is, is yeah, your delivery. For sure. Which you then know, compounds the issue, right? Dictator. Yeah. Right. It does. It, it absolutely does. And I, I'll tell you a quick, quick little story. You know, I've, I've seen a bunch of different guys in 19 years. You know, it, it sounds like a, such a short period of time, but um, because it's gone so damn fast, but 19 years, I've seen so many people run for office and, and whatever. And, um, I remember one guy in particular uh, that, that wanted to run and um, me personally, you know, and it was quite a few of us that didn't think he was quite ready and nobody wanted to be that guy. And I said, you know, I'll be that guy. And I sat down with him. We poured a couple beers. I said, Hey man, do you, do you really get what comes along with this? That it, that it's not just about that shield and, and that it's about a lot of responsibility that, you know, 
those guys in that truck are yours. Those are your kids for that entire ride back and forth. And at that fire scene that if something goes wrong, it's coming down on you, you know? And, and at first he was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. I'm like, do you though? Do you, do you understand the fact that if you make a right turn instead of a left turn and it's your call and somebody gets hurt or something goes wrong, that there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff that's going to happen if you're not ready to make those decisions. And after sitting and talking with him and, and like you said, all about that delivery, it wasn't that I said, I never, I don't know if I ever said no to him. You're not because you can't, you know, it's not really up to that person. You, if he gets nominated, he gets nominated, but it was that delivery of, I want to see you grow a little more in the fire service before you get into that position. And the reputation that you have isn't bad, but you can make it bad really, really quick because you can have, and, and Jeremy, you know, you could speak to this. You can have a great reputation for years and make one big mistake hundred percent, and, it, and it's gone. Yeah. It, it will, it will follow you to your grave. And, um, you know, you can, you can try to get back from it, but there's always going to be that memory of it. And hundred percent. Yeah. It, it's just, it's a, it's certainly a unique time. And I, I think the, the message here too is if, you know, if, uh, if I can say it is that there's nothing wrong with being a fireman. Like I, there's, there's nothing wrong with being a fireman. I have, I, I have, I'll tell you, my, I watch, I watch a lot of these guys over the years try to race their way up the line. And I was one of them when I was younger, you know, I yeah, mean, yeah. Fuck 20 years ago, you know, I was trying to race my way up through the top, right. Thinking that that's where I wanted to be. That made a difference for me. And frankly, it didn't. I mean, I was very proud of being the line officer and then a company, you know, company officer fire and then a chief. And so I was very proud that I did that job, but man, I'd like to do those jobs over again. Because I think that I could do that job a hundred times better than I originally did. The reason why I don't do it is because I don't have the time to give it. And I'm, and I'm a realist today in understanding that they, I mean, we have open officer positions right now. We have open line officer positions because we don't have the people to fill it or the, or the guys that have the desire to fill it anymore. We're running into the same issues. Yeah. And, and so there's nothing wrong with that in regards to, like my engine company, if we don't have a boss sitting in the front seat, it goes to the senior guy um, and right. he rides that seat and he takes that responsibility. And so, you know, there's never not going to be a time that we're going to allow something to happen uh, because we don't have a boss on the rig. It's just a matter of, you know, guys not having the time or desire to pursue an officership again. And and that's certainly me. Um, but I'll tell you, like, don't rush your career in the volunteer fire service. And, yeah, and you know, it, there's like, a, I was going to touch on what you said, where there's nothing wrong with being a firefighter. Yeah. There's two things. There's two things to that. The first thing is I have a couple of guys on, on my company in particular that have never been line officers that are probably some of the saltiest, badass old school firemen that I've had the pleasure of crawling down hallways with. And those are, those guys are part of my senior advisory board, if you will. You know, those are guys that I turn to and go, Hey, what's going on in the firehouse? How how do you, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And then the other part of not, you know, it being okay to just be a fireman that goes to the, to the leadership as well. Don't dare forget where you came from. You are still a fireman at the end of the day. Always. So when the, when the guys are picking up hose, Pick up hose. When the guys are washing the trucks or, or going over packs or starting saws, where you shouldn't be standing over them. You should be next to them doing it with them. Yeah. And I think a lot of that gets lost in, in um, you know, those leadership positions. It gets lost that, yeah, okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're in charge. You're the boss. You know, the thing, you're, you're pointing out the things that have to get done. But a lot of guys forget that they need to help get them done. Yeah. It's yeah. And that's, and that's all part of the process, right? It's a long game and you can rush your way up through the ranks and become a quote unquote leader early on in your career, but you still got the rest of your life, especially in a volunteer world to be a fireman. And so, you know, you rush your career in the beginning to become an officer. You're going to come right back down to ground zero and you're going to become a fireman again. And, you know, don't, rush 
the process. Because yeah. when you when you rush the process in your younger ages, I think you miss out on a lot of opportunity. You, I was you, just going to say it, bro. You you miss out on so many things that yeah. you, you don't realize you miss out on them until they're gone. Yeah. And, you know, guys ask me all the time, you know, because after 2023, I go I go back to Black Shield, you know, like, you know, how do you feel about that? I'm like, do you understand how bad I can't wait to be sitting in the back of the rig again? Like, I, I can't wait to be here in that Q-Sire. Like, I've been in I, a Tahoe for six years. Yeah. I can't wait to be on the truck with the Q-Sire and the air horns going to the job and pulling that first line. Now, don't get me wrong. As a battalion and a deputy, I'm helping the guys do that when they get there. But it's still a huge difference from from being on the truck with the boys on the way to the job, looking out the window and go, hey, brothers, we got work. You know, huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all part of it, and that's I think those are those little things are the things that make us continue to be in love with this. Yes. Yeah. Well, listen, man, keep loving the job because I can hear it in your voice and your passion came through, and uh, I just I thank you for talking tonight and spending that's, some time with me, man. It goes quick. I told you it would. And, yeah, man. Uh, it's it's always a pleasure. I appreciate you. Good luck uh, with this coming year. And uh, chief of department is something to be very proud of. And I know Ridgefield runs deep with tradition uh, and culture. So I wish you nothing but the utmost success uh, with your future as the chief. I got to get down there one of these nights and uh, check you guys out, see what it's all about in Ridgefield. But uh, Dave, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. I look forward to uh, hopefully talking with you in the future. Yeah, for sure, man. There's an open invite. There's always an open invite here on the platform and, uh, you know, keep hitting me up, keep pumping me full of ideas and so on. I appreciate our back and forth that we have, um, whether it's a quick phone call or text message. Uh, I appreciate you. And uh, thanks for jumping in tonight, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Cool. Stay right there. I'm just going to sign out and then I'll be right back. All right. You got it. Cool. Guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio podcast. Like, share, subscribe. Talk about it at the kitchen table tonight. You're at the firehouse, the career of volunteer. Talk about it because when we talk about the job, Well, we're making the job better. So anyway, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.